Hello everybody. Welcome to the Chess Moves edition of the Game Changers podcast. My name is Quinn Sessions and it's a privilege and pleasure to be here with you as usual. You know, this is episode number 2 and I'm finally happy to be back with you guys. I've been away for some while and you know it's good to be back. Good to have this content out again. Hopefully you guys learned something. Today we'll be tackling three hot button topics. For those of you who don't know, this is what this edition of the Game Changers podcast does. So we look at the stories in the news, we look to evidence from these stories, and then we pull out the lessons that we can learn from them. Like I said, we have three hot stories that we must tackle today. The first one is the Google trials. Second one, the SAG AFTRA strikes. And finally, the big one, the one that was on the flyer, the Saudi takeover. Let's get straight into it. So like I said, the first one that we will be tackling is the Google trials. Now you may or may not know that the US Department of Justice sued Google. Now you may be wondering why is the DOJ suing Google? I mean, isn't Google a stand-up company? It's a well-known company. This is kind of surprising. You know, why are they getting sued? Well, according to an article from the Insider, this is what it says. The trial will be centered on whether Google quashed competition by paying Apple and other companies to be their default search engines on their devices and products and deterred other users from accessing rival services in the process. In other words, the DOJ is accusing Google of trying to become a monopoly, trying to monopolize the market. Now obviously that's a big accusation and it didn't sit well with Google executives obviously. I mean you wouldn't expect it to. In fact, this is what one of the executives said. This is a backwards looking case at a time of unprecedented innovation including breakthroughs in AI, new apps and new services all of which are creating more competition and more options for people than ever before so basically he's refuting those claims in his retort he's saying google actually created more competition you know google wasn't being selfish or monopolizing but because google exists more competition can exist So we see the two sides to the argument. You know, one side is saying you are monopolizing, the other side is saying because we exist a monopoly does not exist. So you could see where the argument is and you can see where the case is. From this story, I see that we can learn two things. The first thing I can see, the first chess move 
we can glean from this story is that if you're the best at what you do, mm-hmm. be prepared for somebody to come after you. You know, there is no big name company or big name business owner who hasn't had a lawsuit filed against them. In fact, some of these companies have entire legal departments because they get screwed all the time, right? But it tends to happen even more to those at the very top, like Google or Apple or other companies like that. When you're the best at what you do, or when you're one of the best at what you do, people will come after you. It's human nature. They don't necessarily like to see people thriving without, you know, competition or an ability to supersede them if you want to. People don't like a Goliath in general. So if you're, or if you become that Goliath, now I know most of our game changers are not that in that place yet. But if you become extremely successful, possibly you could find yourself in a similar situation. If you do, be prepared for people to come after you, right? Some people are the victims of their own success. And Google is right now the victim of their own success. The second chess move that I see that can be derived from this story is that competition can be a good thing. If Google had more competition, they wouldn't be being charged right now. You know, sometimes people feel like, you know, when they own everything or when they're extremely dominant, you know, that's the end of the case. But even when you're dominant, you see, like I said in my first chess move, People coming after you. So sometimes, even weak competition, but some competition in the market can be a good thing. It will have saved Google a lot of headache. It will have saved them a lot of money. Right? So competition is a good thing. That's the second chess move. Let's move on to our second big story. The SAG after strikes. Now, this is also a huge story. Those of you who follow the film industry would know that things are not looking very good for them. No, it's very quiet these days over the past few months. And the reason behind it are these strikes that we are about to talk about. Right, so the SAG after strikes is a battle that pits two unions, the Writers Guild of America and the Actors Guild, SAG after against the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, a trade group that bargains for the major studios and streaming services. Right? So it's a battle between the writers and the actors, the creators, and the executives, you know, know, the big wigs, as they say. But why are they fighting? What's the reason behind this battle? Basically, the actors and writers are arguing that they haven't been properly compensated. You would remember that during the pandemic, we had 
exorbitant amount of streaming. You know, most people didn't have anything to do. So they found themselves on Netflix, binging Netflix, you know. And the companies that put out those films on Netflix and Disney Plus and other streaming platforms made lots and lots of money. And the actors and writers who created these programs, who created those movies, are saying that they did not get fairly compensated for the money gained at that time. They're not seeing the residuals of that work, right? However, you know, they're still paying top-line executives, presidents, all those major big wigs, like I said earlier on, are getting paid, but the writers and the creatives are not getting paid from this money. You know, and that's why they have such an issue with it. And so much so that the writers and, and actors decided, you know, to walk away completely. So those of you who follow late night, late night um, comedy that is, would realize that you haven't seen a recent comedy show for God knows how long. Those of you who listen to movies or watch movies would realize that you haven't seen a movie for God knows how long. You know, they have decided to walk away from that because they thought, uh, they feel like they are not being appropriately compensated. And this has crippled the once booming film industry. You know, um, you've seen that neither side is profiting because the writers and the creators, the writers and the actors find themselves without jobs. Some of them had to actually leave their homes. And also, the companies are not winning because they have nobody to work with them or work for them. And therefore, they can't produce movies. Even the movies that they have produced already, they can't really properly market it because they need the actors to help in that. You know, every time you see a premiere, you would see somebody, a movie. Every time you see a movie, you see an actor, one of the actors in the film, going out there and promoting, promoting very hard. If you think of, for example, the latest Fast and Furious movie, you would see all of the stars promoting on their social media and so forth. Right now, this is not happening. So even the movies that have been filmed, edited, and produced and put together, they are not really being marketed because, because of these strikes. And to make it worse, um, there is no clear end in sight for these strikes. In an appearance on the Today Show, president of the SAG-AFTRA, Fran Dresser, some of you would know her from The Nanny, said that she doesn't have a crystal ball and that, you know, the companies and the actors and writers find themselves at so much odds that there is no clear end in sight. She said this, We have financially prepared ourselves for the next six months and we are really in it to win it. Now she says that 
they are in it to win it. But obviously we know that the executives are also in it to win it as well. So there is no clear middle ground um, and therefore there is no clear end it for this fight. I see two possible chess moves from this story. First one I see is that it is important to fight for your rights. You know, oftentimes as creatives, we find ourselves in situations when we get exploited. You know, we create stuff and we give it to somebody and then they utilize it and make all the money off of it. And we just get, you know, bad change. You know, the life of an actor, the life of an artist, not as glamorous for everybody, especially those low-level actors or low-level creatives who are just making enough to get by, right? So it's important to fight for your rights because if you don't fight for yourself, who is? You know, we see these big executives, these big companies not truly supporting the creatives that, you know, really get them working. And they find themselves in a situation where they have no choice but to revolt or to take industrial action because they have not been compensated for their work, right? So that is chess move number one. Chess move number two for this story is that fighting for your rights tends to be difficult. You know, I've mentioned earlier that some of these people have lost their houses. Some of them have lost lots of money because they're out of work, right? And it's not pretty. As important as it is to fight for your rights, you can often find yourself in dire situations because you are fighting for your rights. So be prepared for both. Yes, fight for your rights, but also be prepared for having difficult situations come as a result of fighting for your rights. These are the lessons that I found from the South after strikes. Fight for your rights. But even when you fight for your rights, expect it to be difficult. Hey Game Changers. You know, podcasting is such a unique platform to help connect with such amazing people from all over the world and, you know, build an amazing audience. But I know many of you are really wondering, how do I get started? How do I get my episodes and my story out on all major streaming platforms? Well, I'm glad you asked. Buzzsprout is the answer to all your podcasting problems. We use Buzzsprout as a distribution hub and we couldn't help share it with you. If you click the link in the description, you can get started today. Even better, because you're my friend, if you sign up via my link, you'll get $20 worth of credit so you can use as you please. So what are you waiting for? Click the link in the description down below to get started today. Have you checked out the new and improved Game Changers website? What are you waiting for? Get your latest podcast episodes. Get access to neat merchandise. Awaken your inner game changer. Log on today. Alright, so let's move on. So our final story, the big one, the one on the flyer, the Saudi League or the Saudi takeover. Now, 
those of you who have been following Spot who know that this is one of the biggest phenomenons that is happening in the sports world currently. Saudi Arabia finds itself in the middle of sports, right? Particularly football. We see that since Cristiano Ronaldo left Europe to join the Saudi league, it seems that Europe has followed him. You know, Europe has gone behind him. And we've seen several other players follow suit for exorbitant sums of money. As a matter of fact, you know, we recently saw somebody who many still consider to be in the prime of his career, Neymar Jr., signing for $77 million. And according to the son, I mean, the money's a huge part of it, obviously. He also got things in addition to the money. So the Sun article says he got four Mercedes G-Wagons. He got a Mercedes van. And he also has a driver who drives him around 24-7. You know, so he's living an ultra-luxury life. Not that he wasn't living one before. I mean, the guys are well off. You know, professional football at the highest level. These footballers get paid very well. But he's getting paid even better. If it was just football who was suffering, we would say, okay, well, this is a myopic problem. This is a football problem. But it's not just a football problem. We see that the PGA Tour has also suffered from this. The PGA Tour, for those of you who don't know, is golf. They were recently forced to merge with Live Golf. Live Golf is a Saudi-backed golf tournament who was basically taking some of their best players over again for money. You know, they offered a better option for them. And therefore, they decided, you know what? We don't want to save the PGA anymore. We're moving over to Live Golf. And this involvement by the Saudis in sports has not gone over very well with the American and European mainstream media. You know? They're saying that, you know, the Saudis are disrupting sports. They are destroying sports. You know, they are terrible for sports, basically. But why are the Saudis investing in sport? What is so important in sport? I won't tell you. I'll let my friends at Tifo Football do the explaining for me. His crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, is on a one-man journey to transform how his nation is seen by the global community, but also its own 35 million people. Saudi Arabia is infamous for a scourge of human rights abuses, and in combating that reputation, plus appeasing a rapidly growing and youthful population, MBS has alighted on sport. For example, government sources have indicated to The Athletic that Saudi Arabia is aiming to host 25 world championships across a number of sports by 2030. A bid for that year's World Cup, or the 2034 edition, is very likely. And 24 hours after the Pro League announcement, it was shockingly revealed that the PGA Tour was merging with PIF-funded upstart Live Golf. Sport matters to Saudi's population, 70% of which is under 35, and it's also football-obsessed. 
Since Ronaldo joined, attendance at Al Nasser Games is up by 143%. That is now set to multiply across the league. And global publicity is a key part of the Saudi plan. According to MBS, one key strategic objective is to create qualitative opportunities and an attractive environment for investment in the sports sector. One key motivation behind his Vision 2030 master plan is to divert the Saudi economy away from fossil fuels. The aim is to triple the league's market value through a combination of commercial revenue and private sector investment. And since Ronaldo joined, ticket prices have also gone up. So we basically see that the Saudi leader, MBS, wants to rewrite his country's history with sport, right? He wants to clean up his act by investing in sport. He also wants to invest this exorbitant money that Saudi Arabia has gained through oil into something. Because, you know, eventually maybe these wells could probably dry up and, you know, oil could fall flat. But one thing that is less likely to fall flat is sport, right? It's something that they can invest in for the future. So he's decided to do this. I see an interesting thing that we can learn from the Saudis. The chess move I can glean from here is that it pays to be a disruptor. You know, for several years, Europe and America has monopolized football and golf. And suddenly, they can't say that anymore because Saudi Arabia is offering something that they couldn't offer. And I see that being an interesting thing. You know, when you are able to give something that somebody else couldn't have given, you tend to shake up the market a bit, right? Especially a market that was basically monopolized for a long time. Now, I kind of find it rich for the Europeans and the Americans to quarrel or, or, or to... They had been plundering South America, Africa for so long because they offered something that South America and Africa couldn't offer, which was a better life for the players. Now, Saudi Arabia is doing the same thing. You know, they're providing money They're providing freedom of religion for some of the Muslims, right? They're providing something that Europe and America can't truly provide. And therefore, they've become a disruptor in that industry. I see it as an important thing to learn. If you become a disruptor, you can change the game and you can change an industry. So be a disruptor. Get into some good trouble. Right? So this is the end of Chess Move for today. Let's do some recap. Right? As usual, you know, we want to make sure that we remember what we learned. So from the top, the first Chess Move that we learned is that if you're the best at what you do, you must be prepared for people to come after you. The second chess move that we learned is that competition 
can be a good thing. The third chess move that we learned is that it's important to fight for your rights and protect your intellectual property. However, the fourth chess move that we learned is that when you do fight for those rights, it can be difficult and it can cause pain. And lastly, our final chess move is that it pays to be a disruptor. I hope you guys learned something today. I hope you guys learned something from this chess moves episode. You know, guys, it pays to listen to the news. And I would encourage you to listen to the news as well. I'm not just saying that just because I'm a reporter, just because I'm a journalist. But you learn so many things. You learn so many things about how to move in this crazy world, what is going on in this world, and how to take advantage of it. So I would encourage you this week to spend some time listening to the news, listening to stuff like this, and get your own ideas, get your own lessons from this stuff. I know that it will enrich you as it has enriched me. Anyhow, I'm so happy to be here again with you. And until next time, stay hungry. And I'll see you then. Bye-bye.